1: Good evening. So if you're sitting in meditation practice and you start coughing, have a sip of water. Um, But one of the best techniques when you're coughing is you just take your arms and you reach them up high. Let's all try it. Just reach them up high. And then you bring them back down again. And this helps 9 out of 10 times. Um, So if we're sitting and you start coughing, don't be shy. uh, And just reach your arms up like this. It's really, really helpful. Okay, so... um, We've been studying Chapter 3 of the Yoga Sutra, which is a chapter that we've talked about most people skipping because it deals with the superpowers. And uh, we've explored so far that maybe the superpowers are not as esoteric as they're advertised to be. Um, And we've been looking at this chapter also through the lens of uh, Buddhism and Buddhist practice and also Zen koans. So basically everything we're doing is completely illegal. So don't, don't tell anybody about this. Um, and last week, one of the superpowers that we explored is the practice of <coughs> Maitri, which we, get, we went through pretty quickly. And so I thought we would just focus on that line tonight. And that's why I didn't hand out the text, because we're only going to go through one line. Um, so I'll read you the line. Uh, in the Yoga Sutra that we went quickly over last week. And the line is, uh, line 24, four. Uh, focusing with perfect discipline on friendliness, compassion, delight, and equanimity, one is imbued with their energies. Um, it's a pretty good translation, but actually the only uh, Brahma Vihara here that's described is actually Maitri which is the Sanskrit term for friendliness um, or loving kindness and in for those of you who are Buddhist practitioners that Sanskrit term Maitri in the Pali language the Pali language was a language that was created around the time of the Buddha's death and the centuries following to um, put the Buddha's teachings down uh, in a a kind of uh, structure so that his teachings could be memorized and shared through the oral tradition of the time. Uh, That's actually a new scholarly discovery because it used to be thought that the Pali language predated the Buddha and now scholars show that actually it seems like the Pali language was actually created for Buddhism which is kind of interesting. But we're not going to get into that, even though I would love to. Um, uh, In the Buddhist tradition, the teaching of Maitri, or in Pali, the teaching of Metta, um, goes like this. And this is also a meditation instruction. So if you listen, this can also be a a meditation instruction. Uh, May all beings be happy Uh, So happy is the translation here of of, um, Metta. May they be joyous and live in safety. May all beings, whether weak or strong, in high or middle or low realms of existence, may all beings be happy. This is such a beautiful, beautiful aspiration. May all beings be happy. Um, I never knew that Maitri or Metta or this kind of loving-kindness practice was part of yoga, actually, until I discovered it in the Yoga Sutra. And it's in two different places. Patanjali talks about developing loving-kindness when difficult emotions are arising. He says when depression, uh, distress, or the inability to maintain posture or breathing show up the first thing you should do is practice loving kindness towards the hindrance that's showing up. Or actually, I would say the symptom of the hindrance. Um, And when I started practicing Buddhism, I never knew or was interested in loving kindness because I went into Buddhist practice as a young man and I just wanted the discipline of silence and so I would go on retreat and then after the third or fourth day, it would usually be the evening and everybody would be very soft and I would be almost soft. And then the teacher would start to say, now open your heart, find somebody who you care about and start to f- feel this sense of loving kindness towards that person as something that you actually cultivate <coughs> And I thought this was all just a superimposition on my mind, and that the teacher was distracting me from real practice. And that every time the teacher would start to talk about loving kindness, I would just start thinking they were getting soft, and I would tune them out. For a few years, it worked like this. Um, but over time, the hardness in my own heart started to soften. And then I really started to see this practice of Maitri or Metta as being central in meditation practice. And for those of you who were here over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about how to get into deep states of concentration, states of samadhi or the jhanas. One of the ways you get into deep states of concentration is actually through Metta practice, is actually through the practice of loving kindness. Um, The word uh, uh, metta, interestingly enough, also comes from the term mitta, which is the term for friend. Um, So there's this way where in Buddhist practice you don't talk about love separate from kindness and friendliness, which I think is a really beautiful way of talking about love. You don't kind of split it up just into human relational love, there's a sense that love, <laughs> kindness, and friendliness are all in the same package. And this is true in our practice and also etymologically uh, in this term, which I think is why the term is not usually translated as love.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the practice, maybe some of you know, is basically you start by choosing somebody who you care about, because it's really easy and then you just practice loving kindness towards them. And then you start practicing loving kindness towards yourself. And that's really hard, you know. And then you start practicing loving kindness to people who are neutral. Um, Maybe just somebody who you pass in the day who you don't have any strong feelings about. And then you start cultivating loving kindness even for your enemy if you can imagine this, which is this acknowledgement that everybody is precious in one's life, which really echoes, I think, what we studied in the Lotus Sutra. When was the Lotus? Was that in the spring? In the spring. this kind of sense that everyone is precious. The, the term in Pali for that is pema, which means pre- precious. Um, it's kind of appreciation for the way everybody fits into one's life, even one's enemies. Uh, that cause us so much pain. Even the 1%, they don't deserve our hatred, actually. What they really deserve is our loving-kindness. So much, actually. They deserve our loving-kindness. I won't say any more about that, because I might be called obtuse. (laughs) Basically, the way I would translate it is you just love everybody as hard as you can until your heart is just like honey and then people (coughs) get stuck in it. (laughs) And this is okay. Um, And also, metta is not the same as the way we use the word love It's not like falling in love, because it's not an accident. You fall in love, you just happen to... I don't know how it works. It's like getting stuck in honey, right? Um, But the whole idea with Maitri is that it's... um... Well, first of all, let me say, when I first started learning about metapractice, I thought it was very artificial. You take this mind that's really quiet, and then you kind of introduce something for the mind to do. But, but the idea is that our minds tend to flow in the direction of repetition, of habit, right, of greed, and so on. And so we use this practice to kind of flow the mind in a different direction. So in a way, it's artificial in the sense that you're kind of rerouting your intention towards loving kindness. Does this make make sense? And then you start to see what's really important. Actually, I just remembered there's this funny joke where there's this guy who's fishing in a little boat and uh, he's got, you know, not such a great little dinghy, you know, and he's fishing away. And this uh, wealthy guy from the 1% comes and says hey, you've got this little boat fishing and maybe you catch three or four fish. If you get a bigger boat, then you can catch a lot of fish. And the guy says, why would I want to do that? And his new mentor says, "Um, if you catch a lot of fish, then you can buy a whole fleet of boats and then you can catch even more fish. And then the guy in the fishing boat says, well, why would I want to do that? And he says, Well, because then if you have a whole fleet, then one day you can sell it and you, re- you can retire. <laughs> and the guy in the little boat says, Well, why would I want to do that? He says, Because then you can retire. He says, Well, then what would I do? He's like, Then you can go fishing. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Jewish version of that joke, too, but I won't go into it. So that the practice is really about intention and really setting up the value in one's life, what's really valuable in one's life. And when we start to work with our capacity for consumerism, our capacity for greed, the way we act out of fear, we can catch it and we can redirect that energy towards generosity and that energy towards loving kindness for all things, not just human things. Um, it's another way of saying um, that I'll, I'll be happy if somebody else is happy you know? do you remember that in the Lotus Sutra this kind of sense that the Bodhisattva is happy because somebody else is happy yeah. so one sign of metta is that it's, a, it's an intention where there's no craving Okay, so it's loving kindness but without any clinging Right? So if you say like love always has a certain measure of attachment, I, I don't know, that's not Buddhist, but I think love always has a certain measure of attachment, but it's like a ratio. And so you know you're doing loving-kindness practice where in the ratio it's more towards the other and less towards the self. You see, when, when you're loving in a way where it's about you, then there's craving, and then there's attachment. So how do we find love where in the ratio, there's going to be some clinging? Anybody who talks about love without any conditions, I don't know if they're in a relationship with anybody. (laughs) Love happens in conditions. It's the best kind of love is conditional love. There, There isn't love outside conditions, I don't think. There's anything outside conditions. But actually it's about a ratio. And when the ratio is set up in a way where there's real care and real friendliness for the other, then there's less clinging, you see. It's not about me. Yeah. Um, also, I think at the core of all our hearts is the desire just to be happy. Isn't this true? Isn't this true for all of us, that really the thing we all really <coughs> want is just to be loving and to be loved and to be happy and to be friendly. Friendliness is like going to be the new hip trend, I think. You'll see. It's going to be the new black dress. Isn't everyone supposed to have a little black dress? No? This is what I've heard, anyways. Everyone's supposed to have a little wrong scene, I guess.
0: (laughs) But the new
1: hip thing will be kindness. Like it's cool. It's cool to be kind, you know. And um, and it seems like what happens is, when we're kind, we're more at ease. Because it's really in our heart of hearts what we all want, and maybe even the worst crook on Bay Street you know, or the worst po- you know politician or you know bot judge, um, they all are doing that in some perverted way to still find happiness for themselves. If you ask somebody who's doing violence really what they're doing it's for to be happy. <coughs> it's kind of a strange thing. I think one thing we all agree on is what we all want is to be happy. But I think where the yoga teaching comes in is to start to realize that self-centered happiness is a dead end. That you can't just get happy for yourself. Um, And this is what your Buddha nature is. Buddha nature is just this recognizing our shared wish to be happy. Because when you really start to feel your wish to be happy, then it suddenly uh, widens out to include others. You start to realize this is also the core of other people, is they also want to be happy. It's so hard to see our enemies like this, isn't it? That they're doing what they're doing because they just also really want to be happy. But what we realize is when we try to be happy just for me then actually over time that becomes too painful it's too painful has anyone here ever tried this like for years <laughs> in their life like just trying to get happy for me do you have a glass of water or something petra mm-hmm. yeah i'm working on that. okay I'm working on that. i just want your throat to be happy <laughs> <laughs> um People who get money or property or exploit others um, to know, you know, endlessly, it's just to be happy. They just want to be happy. So I came across this, I, I just, I can't finish this book. It's like, who, who does this anymore? <laughs> <laughs> this is a wonderful book I recommend. It's called The Empathic Civilization by Jeremy Rifkin. If you can get through it, tell me. I don't know. I'm still in the beginning. (laughs) He says Were the seeking of companionship not so basic to our nature, we wouldn't so fear isolation or ostracization. To be shunned and exiled is to become a non person, to cease to exist as far as others are concerned. Empathy is the psychological means by which we become part of other people's lives and share meaningful experiences. The very notion of transcendence means to reach beyond yourself, to participate with and belong to larger communities, to be embedded in more complex webs of meaning. Isn't that beautiful? It's it's a wonderful line here. The very notion of transcendence means to reach beyond oneself, to participate with and belong to larger communities. To larger communities. Uh, when we sit on the cushion for a while, we, we really join community, uh, but also the community within us. So most people, when they sit, they've been so caught in these patterns of habit of, of self-centeredness that when they sit, a lot of fear and anxiety arises because sitting still's not really, sitting still goes against the stream of the kind of self-centered non stop narrative we're doing. And so I think <laughs> it's important for people when they sit still and fear or anxiety arises to really have loving-kindness towards that, to realize that fear and anxiety have been arising because this way of sitting has really been so far from daily consciousness and to make space for the fear and anxiety to be there so it's not so different than normal consciousness, mm-hmm. than daily waking awareness. So have loving-kindness towards this. And also to recognize that none of it's your fault. No. It's not so personal. We all feel fear and anxiety when uh, some part of us is threatened.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think that part of us that is self-centered gets really threatened by meditation practice. Because, oh, we might start to feel community. Mm-hmm. Um so I like to do this practice when I feel um, difficulty arising uh, or self-centeredness arise. It doesn't—you don't realize it's self-centeredness. <coughs> but when difficulties arising in my meditation practice, one thing I try and do that is helpful—that you could try—is just see the thought that's arising and don't add anything to it. Just like we were doing with sound. This is a, an interesting way of doing friendliness internally. So maybe some self-judgment shows up and just notice that and just don't add anything to it. Maybe some fear starts to bubble and notice fear and then just don't add anything on top of it. Yeah? could you? Can you feel that? Do you think you could try this? You can say so if you don't think, if you think that's like way out of your, your league. Um, and in the Buddhist tradition, it says there are five benefits to practicing loving kindness. And I love when this happens, where it's like you have to do all this work and then it even tells you beforehand what the benefits are. So this is like good marketing. <laughs> so here are the five benefits of loving kindness. Number one, you will sleep better. Right? You'll sleep better. A loving heart is a contented heart. It's the best sleep aid. Right? And the, actually the best thing about loving kindness unlike sleep medication is there's no bad side effects. So if you can't sleep well, just do loving kindness. Practice. Yeah? You're not sleeping well. Sit sit up in bed. And um, just start to practice loving kindness for somebody who you care about already and then see how that goes for a week. And then if you can do that, then the next week start to practice loving kindness for a neutral person and then maybe for yourself the week after. And over time, this should help you with sleeping. Yeah. Good, good luck. <laughs> yeah. um, number two, uh, If you practice loving kindness, non-human beings will also like you. (laughs) Isn't that good? (laughs) If you practice loving kindness, if you practice friendliness, then birds and squirrels and cats, yeah? And all those, how many bacteria do you have? How much bacteria do you have? Yeah. They'll start to like you more if you practice loving kindness. But I think we should extend this also. Uh, demons, Mara, they will also like you more if you practice loving kindness. Uh, number three. Okay, this one's a bit crazy. But uh, Fire, poison, and weapons will not affect you. Okay. That sounds a little out there. (laughs) Fire, poison, and weapons will not. Okay, but think about this. This is 2,600 years ago. It's 2,600 years ago. There's There's no nuclear weapons. There are no bombs, there are no missiles, there are no rifles, okay? So I think actually maybe what the commentators are trying to get at here is a kind of sense more of like mind over matter, right? If you, if you really practice loving-kindness, then the fear that arises from the things that threaten you uh, don't have the same purchase on your psyche. You know? uh, nowadays, this is what has to be updated, this one, I think. <laughs> Number four, your mind will come into concentration easier. We all know this is true, right? When you have the ability to be friendly, it's so hard to have enemies do you know, it's so hard to build walls all the time because when you build the wall, walls, especially those really tall ones, you have to maintain them, yeah? And it takes a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, when I first started practicing meditation, I was saying this earlier, but I've been thinking about it a lot today. I was so, I was like doing high-octane samadhi you know, I just wanted to get as still as possible. And whenever people started talking about compassion, I just wanted to kill them. <laughs> because that just seemed like another thing you just add to the mind. Until you start to realize that really, when you get quiet, the feeling tone that's under there is kind, it's friendly, and it's actually joyful. And when you can get into that space, the hindrances are not there so much, and then you can get concentrated. And as we've been saying the past few weeks, the difference between meditation and concentration is the absence of the hindrances. They're not allowing you to slide off the object so easily. Uh, We're at four? Okay, number five, this is my favorite one. If you practice... Loving kindness, you will cultivate a loving heart so that at the time you die, you will go easily. You won't struggle. You'll cultivate a loving heart so when it's time to die, you will die easily. You'll be able to forgive. Yeah? Even you'll be able to forgive yourself. Especially for one of those people who's so annoying. To yourself. You can just forgive yourself. Um, I think I said this a few weeks ago, but like when you die, you come face to face with your heart. And the stuff you've built and the art you've made and the things you've invested in and the empires you've created and whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. But what really matters is the state of your heart. And that's the honesty piece in our practice—to really be, to, to really see if our hearts are genuinely opening to humans and the non-human world. You know? And so, if you practice loving kindness like daily, high, like flossing, <laughs> daily hygiene practice, then um, when you die, it won't—it won't be such a struggle. That's the motivation, no, to practice. And maybe the biggest motivation is to know that and then be with friends or family who are dying who don't want to die. It is so painful to watch somebody who's dying who won't allow themselves to be in the dying place. When you're dying, if you have a lot of unresolved stuff in your heart, you, you, you don't allow yourself to go into the dying place. And the interesting thing is the dying place is really the the living place. To really be living as you're dying. If you're dying when you're dying, then you're not dying. You're fighting it. Suffering. So those are the five benefits of, of loving kindness. And... Um, I think that also what happens is we find the more childlike parts of ourselves that just want to care and play. Play and care. It's to find that place in you that's young and has energy and just wants to be uh, playful and careful. Carefree. Carefree? No, not carefree. carefree. Caring. Play. Yeah. Playing and caring? Okay. Um, the last thing I'll, I'll say about this, and then I'd like to have a discussion about it, is that uh, one thing that we were studying when we were looking at the Lotus Sutra um, is that the, the Buddha of this time uh, is called Shakyamuni Buddha. Um Muni means a sage and uh, Shakya is, of course, the clan that he, he comes from um, or Sakya. Um, I guess, Angela, you probably just went to see some of the homes of that clan. Yeah. yeah. And Angela just came back from a Buddhist pilgrimage in India. Mm-hmm. You should come and give a talk on that. Someday. We'll talk about that. Um. And so the Buddha of this time is uh, is Shakyamuni Buddha, but it's said that there is a future Buddha. There is another Buddha that is going to come uh, in Buddhist cosmology and metaphysics. And it said the Buddha that is going to come is Maitreya Buddha, is the Buddha of compassion, is the Buddha of infinite compassion. And what I love about this model is I think this is kind of like traditional Buddhists who were uh, into evolution and had this realization about human beings that the first people who got enlightened were people who came out of a clan. But the next kind of enlightenment is going to be people who come out of the larger uh, clan or the larger community, where what they offer is not themselves, but what they're offering is something bigger than themselves which is not the promise of enlightenment, but the promise of deep empathy and compassion and the creativity that comes from this level of compassion and friendliness. Um, Maybe the Buddhist ancestors thought that friendliness is like an evolutionary trend for humanity. That after the singular Buddha, there would be another Buddha whose main practice is just friendliness. So look around. Maybe he or she is in this room, or maybe he or she is this room. Right? This is like what Thich Nhat Han says that the next Buddha will be Sangha. This is riffing on that, right? The next Buddha wi- will be community. The next Buddha is not going to be a singular person, you know, who has an awakening in Vancouver or whatever. The next Buddha is going to be a collective, social. So, if you're looking around for this Buddha, you may not recognize it. Um, I had more to say, but I think I'll stop here. So, what do you think? This is is kind of a powerful thing. I don't know, maybe there's somebody here who is like me years ago. who, like, just wants to not have any anxiety and be really still and get enlightened without all the compassion part? <coughs> okay, maybe not. <laughs> not what, what comes up for you hearing this, that one of the superpowers is is friendliness? Mm. Yes? I was
0: in England was on the tube, the subway, she started practicing meta. she always practice meta in public places, so she practiced practice on the subway. <coughs> this woman tapped her on the shoulder, of this old elderly lady, and said, Excuse me, love, have you been sending me love? <laughs> and I just, that made me inspired to practice with him on the subway or on yeah. airplanes and buses. And I start on the bus or the subway, and then I can radiate it out to yeah. say that block or the city or the end of the world. Yeah. And so for me, I never thought of it as like, the actual minds or the thoughts, it's mm-hmm. more that
1: energy or the feeling it's creating mm-hmm. within me that as an energy being then can trans that just is emanating mm-hmm. off me and hopefully rubbing off on mm-hmm. others. Yeah. and non-humans too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <coughs> Dog starts smiling. <laughs> Birds suddenly appear. Birds. <Yeah. laughs> That's global warming. That's a whole other
0: <laughs> <thing>.
1: <laughs> somebody else. Yeah.
0: It, it makes me think about what happens when you're in a group of people that, like, in protest or or just here, where you're with a group of people that have similar intentions, mm-hmm. and um, and there's a feeling that comes with that, and yeah. it, and bigger things are possible yeah. than what's otherwise possible. Yeah. But it it's it's so outside of what's accepted culturally too. So to have yeah. something that's created that's it, it, there's like the idea of crime mentality and that it's it's not real. Yeah. That what happened what's possible there is not actually yeah true. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. And it's just it's interesting how that's maybe like the next possibility and then also not true relative mm-hmm. to what's
1: valued mm-hmm. by the culture, yeah.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. Um, I was just going to share that a number of years ago, in my Buddhist practice, I would be doing a fair amount of this through, the, through my through the practice that I would be, mm-hmm. I would be doing, uh, generating loving kindness. And I found that this. Later on, maybe about three, three or four years ago, I found that I was actually entering a, a, pure, a, a phase of kind of self delusion mm-hmm. where that was like a sanctuary that I would enter, mm-hmm. but I was paying less attention to myself and my own needs mm-hmm. and focusing on the outward energy to, to, mm-hmm. to people, to, uh, to being of service, mm-hmm. just opening up my heart. Yeah. That I was ignoring myself. Yeah. And then I, I would see other people doing this type of thing where they would kind of hide themselves within this kind of idea that I'm contributing to the greater, the collective mm-hmm. and I, I'd spent a lot of time looking at that and kind of getting back to myself mm-hmm. to find out where I left off, where I left you know nourishing myself behind and, and you know, I, I spent a number of years trying to reconnect mm-hmm. myself to yeah to loving myself first and then extending that out. So sure. I mean, it's just
1: a kind of... Yeah, on that. yeah that's crazy. a good point. I mean, I, I've never heard meta taught without also meta to yourself. So I think it's really important, yeah. that piece. That's why usually, you know, there's the neutral person, there's, you, know, you choose different people, but always you include yourself. It's
0: just but
1: thing. sometimes you can hear that yeah. and, like yeah. I was saying earlier, and tune that out. And so
0: much it's, it's encouraged, especially within those practices, because of its emphasis on non ego. Yeah, that at some point in your practice, you actually start almost forgetting about yourself because it's encouraged to leave your ego behind. Oh, yeah, them, the master kind of, yeah, kind of whip you on the back. So, yeah, that you're it's not that you're taking abuse, but like yeah. your, your ego is becoming less and less. And less. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, so it can fade too much into the distance.
1: Yeah, so here the flip is we take the ego and we just like love it like crazy until it's just like sick of us (laughs) thank you for sharing I was going to add in the Brahma Viharas that's what we're talking about which means the divine abodes that when you talk about Uh, loving-kindness or equanimity or compassion, it's said that there's a near enemy to them and a far enemy. So the far enemy is kind of the opposite of whatever it is you're cultivating. So the opposite of loving-kindness is hatred, Hatred. right? So you're cultivating loving-kindness in the face even of hatred. But that's the obvious one. You can tell the difference between loving kindness and hatred, hopefully. Um, but the near enemy is sneaky. So whenever you're studying a near enemy, it always seems like that abode, but it's not quite it. And the near enemy of loving kindness is attachment. Right. So it's when you're cultivating loving kindness, but you're attached to a result, or you're attached to what it can do for you, or you're attached to yourself.